0: David, can you think of a time when an online experience was so frustrating that you just gave up?
1: Yeah, uh, just about every time I get a new device, you know, it doesn't matter, tablet, phone, laptop, you got all those services that you wanna tie into or turn on and you've got all your passwords and it's so frustrating. Uh, anytime I do that, I'm looking for my password manager because I don't have time for that, I need, I need my robot. When you think about those experiences, uh, and they're frustrating or they're full of friction, I think that that's one of the things that really highlights why consumer identity access management. So CIAM is really important. You know, you don't have time to mess around with figuring out how to log into your favorite video service every single time, how to get into your bank every single time. It's got to be fast. You're not there to experience security. You're there to experience the new cat-based television show or to check your account. And when companies get it right, they have a huge advantage. When they don't, they're really up against a lot of frustration and inertia to go elsewhere.
0: This is a security intelligence podcast where we discuss cybersecurity industry analysis tips and success stories. I'm Pam Cobb.
1: And I'm David Moulton. Two of our experts from IBM Security, Martijn Loderus and Sean Brown, joined us to discuss Consumer Identity and Access Management, or CIAM. Here's our conversation.
2: Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Lodiris. I'm the Global CIAM
3: Lead for IBM. And this is Sean Brown. I'm the Program Director for IBM's Identity and Access Management Team responsible for access and authentication technology.
1: So the main difference between CIAM and IAM is that the C stands for consumers. Martijn, can you talk about what are the nuances here?
2: So, absolutely. Um, So, one of the things that is really different about CIM and IEM is actually not the technology, but it's the use case. So, the use case for IEM is really to allow the right person to get access to an application or uh, information based on his credentials. So, it's the right person at the right time for the right reasons. With CIAM though, we're trying to take a handle on the whole uh, community going and having access. And while they're having access, we're registering them to make sure that we can communicate with them effectively. So think about IEM more as a vault, and think about CIAM more as like the entry of Disneyland where you want to get as many people through the gate as possible. And as they're entering that gate, we want to understand their preferences and and their personas so that we have a relationship with them.
1: So I like that analogy, the gate uh, to Disneyland. You really want to make sure things are fast and frictionless versus the vault maybe a little bit more secure. Um, So when you think about what does CIAM come into play versus traditional identity and access management?
2: CIAM comes into play... Uh, when you want to capture somebody's persona. So with traditional identity and access management, usually the profiles created by HR or some kind of ERP system. With CIEM, we actually have uh, consumers that are signing themselves up. So they go through a registration page to be able to create their accounts and have a username and password, which means they're making themselves known and basically interact with you as a brand to be able to either buy a product or get a service and you as a company are therefore building a relationship with new customers.
1: Okay, that, that's really helpful to know. And in fact, when you put it in that kind of perspective, all of us have had both of these things in our lives, but maybe not thought about it too much. Uh, and it makes me think, you know, why is managing consumer identity so important right now?
3: So, I mean, essentially what we see is across the board in every market, every industry, uh, there are new regulations taking hold uh, that require companies to ensure that they are protecting the identity data of the customers that are doing business with them uh, with financial impacts if they don't protect that data. So it's becoming um, very relevant, very across the board, uh, regardless of industry and market.
1: And so you mentioned industry, I'd be curious, are there certain industries that are especially impacted?
3: What we're seeing is really it's a kind of across the board. Um, certainly more are impacted depending on how uh, they do business and where they do business and the amount of data that they store on their customers. Um, but essentially, if, if you're in the market of a, a, any industry and you have customers, you're storing their data, um, whether you're a high tech uh, firm uh, managing just uh, contact information for your sales team or you're in uh, distribution and retail managing general consumers that are coming in and buying things. Uh, across the board, everybody has data that they are storing and they are needing to manage that data to protect themselves and protect their end users.
1: So zooming in a little bit from that industry ask that I just had to the leadership, say the CMO, CIO level, um, how does this technology impact uh, what they're doing in the business?
2: So we talked about compliance a little bit um, before, but uh, when you're looking at CIEM, A consumer experience actually touches multiple lines of business. So the chief marketing officer or the brand manager is really involved with regards to the look and feel of the experience and making sure that the right level of questions are asked. But also the CIO is the one that actually runs the technology and they need to be able to support multiple use cases ranging from a simple registration form to workflow to even managing IoT devices. So they're looking at this more from an angle of how do I support my business? And the last person is actually the CISO. So the CISO needs to make sure that capturing consumer information effectively is done in compliance with all kinds of legislation. So we're actually seeing Siam as a conversion of multiple stakeholders coming together to agree on a common way that consumers are interacting with their brand.
1: Yeah, it seems like the CMO and the CISO work together to you know, deliver on trust, deliver on security, but also for that great user experience, uh, reduce churn, those types of things. It's, a, it's an interesting place to see those parts of the business intersect. Why is the balance between user experience and security especially critical with consumer IAM?
3: I think we can all relate to this one. We've, we've all tried to go into a website or an application um, in and in needing to get to it quickly. Uh, maybe it's making a change to a flight or uh, being able to access something that uh, you need to share with someone um, and being prompted for additional authentication factor. So, you know, you have a pop-up that says you need to verify an SMS that got sent to you or an email sent to you and you're trying to board a plane to get and need to show your 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 boarding pass. Um, you know, it, it's just something that we don't want to deal with. We want to have access to the things we need when we need them without friction. Uh, and so I, I like to actually flip around and say we really shouldn't balance um, the two. It should be an embracement of both providing frictionless access to resources without reducing the security to those resources. So basically giving the consumer back control over their data while at the same time not reducing any levels of security around how that user is accessing the data.
1: Can you share any examples of what happens when this balance isn't struck versus when it is?
3: Yeah. I mean, essentially it comes into abandonment. Um, it comes into dissatisfaction, which leads to you know lost revenue with customers. Um, anytime you're introducing friction, into the authentication event where when users are coming into, whether it's registering for your site or your service or your, or your, or your newsletter, for example, to actually interacting with you to make a purchase or uh, sign up and engage with you, whenever friction gets introduced there, which can be in, any, in many number of forms. It can be, for example, uh, friction that is associated to a user having to give more information that they feel they need to give you at this time, uh, it can be a uh, friction where you're asking a user to re-verify themselves after you've already had them authenticate um, to even just asking for information from them that in, a, in a, out of band um, an out-of-band time. An example I like to use is if, if you have a dinner party, obviously it's a difficult time to do dinner parties right now, but hopefully when we're when we're back in uh, in better shape, uh, we'll start having dinner parties again. And if somebody comes to your house, when they introduce themselves at your door, you're going to also theoretically introduce yourself back to them. So Hi, David, this is Sean, Sean, David, we now introduce ourselves and you come in and, and you're now in my house having uh, having dinner and I, I come over to you and I ask you uh, what your name is again to get your drink order. You're gonna question why I've asked for your name again now twice, even though I've already known you uh, from coming into the house. So that kind of experience is things that we see uh, on a regular basis in many consumer applications where you're asking for information that isn't necessary or maybe you already have and should not be asking again. And with that friction, the consumers lose confidence. They're going to lose um the, the they're going to lose confidence in your store, in your resource that you're providing to them. And when that happens, they're going to abandon and go find somewhere else that they have a better confidence level in interacting with.
1: Right. So on some level, what you just described is a natural feeling relationship or a natural interaction rather than something that feels uh, stilted and broken apart. Uh and then you tie in the pieces of security to that uh, that put, uh, could add in friction. And overall it becomes a, a loss for the customer or for the business as the customer says, you know, I, I just don't need it that much.
3: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you, if you just think about it, When we're interacting digitally, it should be no different from an interaction we have in a physical world. If I'm introducing myself to you, I expect that you're going to remember my name. If I've given you information, I'm going to give it to you at the time where I feel you need to have that information, not more information than you need, not having to re-verify the information I've already given you. The information needs to be there in real time at the right time, but not in a weird ad hoc way.
1: Right. And I, I go back to that example that you gave of the flight and... You know, I've moved most of my stuff when I was flying over to the phone. Only if I knew that the ability to pull up my boarding pass was going to work consistently. Otherwise, I didn't want to have that moment of struggle right as I tried to get on the plane um, by logging in and, and dealing with you know a missing uh, document at a critical moment.
3: Yep, absolutely. My my wife still prints off her boarding passes. She doesn't trust that she can get her phone to, to unlock quick enough when she's boarding it. So, you know, that is an experience that is still uh, common for many users.
2: Yeah, and just to, to add to that is the fact that um, CIM really impacts revenue because consumers have other options, right? So if we just take an example, for instance, with an insurance company, and you already have your home insurance with a certain company, and now you're applying for your car insurance, having to fill out your name and your address and all those kind of details that they already have just really feels awkward, right? And um, basically, that is the reason why we're trying to help organizations centralize the client identity or consumer identities so that they can use that also for a very effective, low-friction cross-salm upsell.
1: That's right, because I didn't come to your website to fill out forms. I came to your website to see if I could get a better rate on my car insurance. And you already know me or i thought you did uh, so guys let's let's shift gears a little bit with workforce i am employees are known and trusted entities right but this isn't always the case in the consumer side the the cim side uh where the res- users are responsible for creating their own accounts and you can't assume trust so how can organizations bridge that gap in digital trust
2: yeah, so the bridge in digital trust actually is working both ways. So as you just mentioned in your question, consumers uh, that enter your web page uh, for your company, uh, you have no idea who they are, and they're also signing up themselves, right? So per definition, there's no trust. On the other side, though, from a consumer perspective, there's also not yet a established trust between the consumer and the company as well. So you actually have to create it on both sides. One of the things that we've developed is a methodology called progressive trust. So, progressive trust is about designing a consumer journey that collects information about the consumer in relationship to the use case that they're executing against. So, just to give you an example, when you're visiting a web page, we're not asking you to provide any kind of information because it's uh, open public information. If you want to download a brochure, for instance, asking for your email address is perfectly fine in relation to that use case. But if you now want to sign up for an account, for instance, to have access to personalized information, to then sign up with your email address and validate that email address feels like a natural step and we can do that. But if we would have increased that friction, for instance, with a multi-factor authentication, like sending a text message to your phone, it feels overdone because we're not necessarily sharing a high risk type of use case. At the same token, though, if we would now go into a financial transaction, for instance, with a threshold of $200, then it would be absolutely normal for a consumer to uh, understand that they need to do some kind of step-up authentication like having security questions or having that multi-factor authentication. And if you want to do high-level financial transactions like more than $200, having to be able to fulfill, for instance, a social security uh, number or other credentials like a, a passport number or putting a driver's license in front of a webcam feels very logical in relation to that use case. So we, what we want to make sure of is that you design your customer journey in a way that is in relation to the different use cases that you're designing your consumers to go through. And if a new consumer wants to go immediately to that step of doing a more than $200 transaction, they don't mind that level of friction at that level, and you've skipped all these other in-between steps, but then you haven't lost them. And what we're trying to do with Progressive Trust is basically help organizations not apply the same level of security requirements on all kinds of use cases.
1: So with that, why aren't traditional IAM solutions a good fit to manage consumer identity?
2: IAM tools are designed for that use case to only let that right person in. Like I mentioned before, we're talking about a vault, right? And that means that it's designed in a way to only let one person enter. It's designed for what we call access controls. CIM tools are really designed to be able to capture the right level of information and establish a profile for communication and basically interaction between consumer and brand. So consumer identity and access management has all kinds of different tool sets that are being applied to allow that to do that smoothly. So think about uh, social login. So you can log in or register with your Facebook account to be able to establish an identity quickly and then interact with that brand. Um, It would be almost unthinkable to use your Facebook account as a way to authenticate yourself in an employee type of scenario. Um, Also, we will have widgets or registration forms that are easily tailored for the creation of that profile uh, when a marketing campaign is launched. So if you're doing a sweepstake or anything like that, All of that is part of uh, that consumer identity and access management platform. So it's really similar type of technologies, but because they're designed for those two different use cases, you'll see all kinds of features and functions that are designed exactly for the purpose of capturing personas and, and giving them secure access for a personalized
3: experience. What are the most important
1: considerations for organizations when managing consumer identities?
3: I like to get customers to think about it holistically. So looking at not only the tools, but also the people and processes that are involved in their solutions. Um, because a lot of times it, it's, it's, certainly the tools are important. We wanna use enterprise grade, modern technology and standards. Uh, but at the same time, it's not just tools that have to be updated as we um, expand out and how we're interacting with our users. We need to look at what are the processes involved in how we're using the data they provide? Um, I see many companies now still asking for the same information in different ways in, to get into the into the application of our customers. So you may have a, you may have a, a tool for a, a, a loyalty program that's getting an email address, first name, last name. You may have another uh, entry point for your customers that are coming in to purchase things, and it may be asking for the same information in different ways that they're coming in. If we can look at the processes holistically and understand Um, where are we gathering information, where can we reuse the information where possible, and how can we infuse progressive trust into that process is is equally important to the tools themselves. And then lastly, it's the people. Um, In many many cases, IAM organizations are struggling to backfill with the resources they need to be able to do their job. And so finding the right partners uh, to bring in to help you introduce those new processes and those tools are all uh, of equal importance.
1: Sean, how do you see consumer IAM practices evolving six months or maybe a year from now?
3: I see privacy shifting and control of that, of that back to the individual user, where um, we as human beings are going to have a greater control over who has access to our data, where that data is being stored, and, and where it's being shared with. So technologies like uh, decentralized identity, where it leverages a blockchain Style of infrastructure so that we can have control over who has the data in real time. So, for example, if I'm going into to make a purchase at a store, uh, and maybe that store needs to validate if I uh, legally am allowed to make that purchase. So, let's say for example, it's alcohol that I'm buying. Uh, I don't need to share my full driver's license with that uh, clerk, to, which would give my you know my 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 address, my my full age, my eye color, my height, weight, things like that. They only need to know whether or not I am legally allowed to make that purchase and of age and prove that that was done. So we see a lot of companies looking at how they can use um, new technologies like decentralized identity to give back control to individual users. And and that really can go across the board. It can even expand into just about any industry, whether it's retail for making purchases of regulated uh, commodities, to travel, being able to validate who the who the user is that's trying to take the rental car out or board the plane uh, to um, state governments being able to to, uh, create digital identities that can be used in many aspects um, and in different places across the board. So that's where I see the the industry shifting very rapidly. And uh, just to add to that,
2: so where I'm seeing a lot of uh, consolidation right now Mm -hmm. happening is the fact that For consumer IEM, marketing organizations really have relied on third parties. And as a result, uh, a marketing campaign was almost created as a silo. So we actually see a lot of companies that have siloed identities that are not used within the other parts of the organization. So consolidation of the identities into one single identity across a brand so that the consumer experience is uh, stitched together and unified is one of the focal points uh, we're seeing companies uh, focus on right now. And the other thing, of course, we already touched on compliance. So yeah. everybody's work, worrying and working on compliance. So the full self-service of uh, having the data subject rights executed by the consumers themselves uh, are critical elements of the functionality we see organizations focusing on uh, in the next six months through a year
1: that's really fascinating stuff uh, Sean back to that decentralized identity um, are there examples out there that you're seeing uh, that our listeners may dig into a little bit that they uh, you, you could uh, you could shed some light on
3: Sure. I mean, we have examples where um, state governments are adopting a decentralized identity model for uh, first responders to be able to allow them to quickly access the resources they need in a urgent situation without having to remember a username and password. Uh, We see other customers that are in financial industries uh, creating uh, identities that can be used across entire uh, government entities to be able to transport your identity with you. So bring your own identity model. Um, all the way down to retail, where retailers are trying to introduce new ways of allowing you to give control back to their customers while at the same time being able to still market to them with the information they need. So there's a lot of different examples across the board. Um, I definitely think right now it is a time of um, testing uh, to find the right ways to use the new tool. I mean, a a year ago, we were saying that, uh, you know, blockchain was a as a technology looking for a problem, we now see that, you know, we think that 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 problem is the identity space, uh, privacy and consent in that space, uh, but it is still an emerging area where uh, every industry is probably going to find a unique use case that may not necessarily apply to other industries, but will greatly enhance and and improve their market posture.
1: Really fascinating. So both of you, thank you so much for spending some time with us on the uh, show today. Uh, I know I learned a bit, um, uh, and I'm sure that our... Our audience out there also learned
3: uh, quite a bit. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being on. Thank you so much for having me, David.
0: Oh my goodness. There were so many awesome metaphors in that conversation, David.
1: I know. Metaphors are my jam. I think my favorite though was the dinner party metaphor. You know, you go in, you greet somebody, they come in, and then a little later you're getting a drink, you ask them their name again. And then you're sitting at dinner and then you ask them their name again and your guest is freaking out and as i heard that metaphor all i could think was you know i've lived that in technology and i want to see that as like a comedy sketch on tv some night because i think it'd be hilarious
0: absolutely and honestly that may be how most of the dinner parties go where i'm a guest because i'm really bad at names so i might be a bad password manager
1: It happens to the best of us. I know for sure uh, I've been there, but, um, you know, not a lot of dinner parties going on for me. So, Pam, tell me some good news. Let's change it up.
0: Well, related to that, um was really so proud of our fellow IBMers where so many mask making efforts have spun up to help first responders and even ibmers that are having to still be on site many of us have transitioned to remote work uh, myself included you're at home but we have several ibmers that are supporting clients and you know critical businesses and and just the internal efforts that have spun up to keep them supplied with ppe or personal protective equipment we've got everything from ibmers that are sewing masks to providing supplies to doing some of the basic assembly steps to 3d printing different uh frames to use for face shields just a a a grassroots effort that's spun up and uh when we're done recording here i have to actually go um, put three yards of fabric in the dryer so I can mail it out tomorrow to an IBMer in New York.
1: That's really cool across the board on IBM. And I know there are other companies that are doing that. And then, you know, just personally, thank you as a fellow IBMer, <laughs> um, you know, that you're working on it and to all the others uh, that, are, that are chipping in in so many different ways. Uh, it does make you feel like, uh, against such a bad backdrop. We've got some really cool things that are going on as we all pull together.
0: Absolutely. And I think the call for code is another thing where we're looking at different ways that we can get others to collaborate and come up with solutions to address all the changes that are happening in business right now.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of that Mr. Rogers quote of look for the helpers and you certainly can look around here and see some, it's pretty inspiring.
0: Absolutely. And that's all we have for this episode.
1: Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks for listening.